uh, God is always at work around you. The problem for most of us is we're so focused on our world that we don't see the world that he's at work at around us. So uh, it's a challenge that, you know, to be aware of the fact that God's at work. And um, our, our job, our responsibility is to join him in what he's doing in the lives of the people around us. So we are in the life of Joseph. And we started this journey. We're going to be on it for a little while. Uh, Joseph came from an incredibly dysfunctional family. Uh, It was about as messed up as you can get. Uh, In spite of that, Joseph made choices so that um, in spite of his circumstances, he decided that um, he was not going to be a product of his environment, but instead he was going to choose to live above and outside of the environment that he was raised in. We talked about the idea of uh, the coat that he wore and the dreams that he had, and that God had incredible plans for him, only... His brothers didn't think so, so his brothers sold him into slavery. We talked about that journey to Egypt. Joseph is a farm boy. He's a country kid, and he finds himself now in Egypt in Potiphar's household. We talked about the idea that in Potiphar's household, he continues to allow God to use him, and he continues to serve God and not focus on his circumstances, but instead focus on ways that he could serve God. Eventually, Potiphar promotes him to the point that Joseph is over top of everything in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is a captain of the guard. Many people believe he was the head executioner for Pharaoh. And so Joseph is now in charge of everything that Potiphar has. However, Potiphar's wife put her eyes upon Joseph and decided, that's something I can't have, so therefore that's something I want. And she pursued Joseph. And Joseph set up boundaries and set himself up in such a way that he continued day after day to push away her advances. Finally, there came a day in which They found themselves alone, and she tried to take advantage of him. And Joseph, being a man who really wanted to follow his God, took off running and left his coat in her hand. So she called in Potiphar and accused Joseph of basically trying to take advantage of her. She lied and mistreated him. So Potiphar then throws Joseph in the prison. He's in Potiphar's prison now, and that's a little bit different than prisons as we think of, although it's not anything spectacular. Uh, It would have been a pit. It would have been an an area kind of underground deal from the book of Psalms. We know that Joseph had shackles about his ankles and about his neck. Joseph continues to serve. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't get bitter. He doesn't get upset at Potiphar's wife instead. He focuses on his God and how he can serve him. So Joseph starts serving, and one day while he's serving, a butler, cupbearer of Pharaoh, the, the head guy in Egypt, um, and his uh, buddy, uh, who was a baker, had been put in, Pharaoh, in Potiphar's prison as well. They were upset, and Joseph, we talked about this last week, Joseph interpreted the dream. And Joseph only asked one thing of them. He says, when um, this comes true and the, the, the cupbearer actually gets restored, after three days the cupbearer was going to go back to his job and the baker was going to lose his head. And sure enough, that's what happened. And Joseph asked simply one thing of the cupbearer. He said, when you're restored, will you remember me? And unfortunately, uh, when he's restored, he forgets Joseph. And when we start putting timelines to all this, we're going to pick up our story this morning as he has forgotten Joseph for two years. What I want you to understand today as we look into this story is this. From the time Joseph leaves Israel as a 17-year-old kid 
to the time that our story takes place this morning is a period of 13 years. When we read it in our Bible, it's a couple of chapters. When we read that he's forgotten in chapter 40, and then we get to chapter 41 that he's remembered, we forget that from the time Joseph had interpreted that dream to the time Joseph gets goes before Pharaoh is two years of being forgotten. And so, as you pick up this story this morning, I want you to understand the gravity of that. That, you know, this isn't a deal where you serve God and everything goes hunky-dory for you. This is, a, this is a guy who for 13 years has pretty much been a prisoner, and he's been at the top and he's been at the bottom. And he's had this roller coaster ride to get to where we're going to, where we're actually going to get to it next week, but to get to this story today, I think you'll see the importance of this. So unfortunately, uh, it's a long story, and I'm going to read it um, as quickly as I can, but I think it's important that you get the whole story. And I just forgot, got a slide in there, I'll skip over. Okay, so here it goes. Again, he's interpreted the dream of the cupbearer. Two full years have passed. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, they grazed upon the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again. And he asked second green, seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. And then seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin, scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. And Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcoming. Pharaoh was once again angry with his servants. That's kind of a bold thing to say to Pharaoh, but hey, I don't know. Remember when you were ticked at me last time? Um, and you imprison, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of guard. Each of us had a dream that same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And the things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought to the dungeon, from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you, that when you hear a dream, you can't interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river came up seven cows, fat and sleek. They grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I've never seen such an ugly cow in all the land of Egypt. The lean and ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after he ate them, no one could tell me what they had done. So they just looked as, just as ugly as before, and then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them 
could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine are follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that this matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Now, there's more to this story we're going to pick up on next week, but I want to stop here because I, there, there's two things that I want to pull out from here for us as we head into the week. Uh, first of all, I want to make sure we have a really, really good understanding of the story. First of all, you need to understand that this is just another day in the life of Pharaoh. Pharaoh went to bed not thinking anything about it, and he ends up with these dreams. Now again, this is an Egyptian world. Dreams were big. Um, Pharaoh uh, is struggling. He can't let go of this. So he does what any Pharaoh would have done. He calls in all of his magicians, all of the astrologers, all of his counsel, and he gathers them all together and he says, here's my deal. I had this dream. What does it mean? And they look at him and they say, not a clue. No idea. As he's mentioning this, the cupbearer, who's probably standing fairly close by, says, oops. And he has to make the bold statement to Pharaoh of, now again, I want you to imagine the scene. All of the most important people in the world are there. And this guy goes... I know somebody who might help. A little while ago, you threw us in a dungeon, actually two years ago. And there was a Hebrew there who we had two different dreams. And that Hebrew boy or guy was able to interpret the dreams. And everything that he said came exactly true, just as he said. So Pharaoh says, go get him. That's just another day in the life of Joseph. Joseph's in the prison doing his prison thing. He's not angry and bitter. He's been mad and forgotten and all this stuff for two years. He's just serving, doing his little prison thing, whether that was feeding people or cleaning up plates or sweeping or taking out. He's doing his prison thing. Realistically, he hasn't been out of that prison for probably between at least two years, if not some cases three, four, maybe even more years. We don't know how long he was in that prison before the butler and uh, the, the baker. I keep wanting to say butler, baker, and candlestick maker, but <laughs> not going to. So anyway, so, so here's the story. So Joseph is just going about his day, and he looks off in the distance, and he sees the, 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 the captain there talking to Pharaoh and everything else, and on all of a sudden, Joseph's world's turned upside down. 
They come down and they say, Joseph, come on, you got to go. So Joseph makes his way out of the prison. They look at him and they go, oh, you're in no shape to go before Pharaoh. And you need to understand, the Egyptian people were incredibly clean, and, in, and protocol was everything. So they take Joseph and they shave him, and they get it again. In that culture, um, often uh, the men uh, in particular, usually their chests were shaved. They were all this glossy bronze kind of thing. Uh, a lot, sometimes they'd have long beards. They get Joseph cleaned up the best that they can. Then they run into Potiphar's seamstress, and they say, what have you got to put on this guy? He can't go before Pharaoh looking like this. So they grab him, and they get him all cleaned up, and they get some clothes on him. Now, just think about this for a second. Want a fascinating study? Think about the clothes that Joseph wears. He started out as a shepherd. Then he had a coat of many colors. Then he went back to slave clothes. Then he went back to Potiphar's house and wearing those clothes. Then he goes down to slave clothes again. Now he's in clothes to go before the king, Potiphar, or Pharaoh. You need to understand this. At this point in history, Pharaoh is the most powerful person on the planet. There is no one with greater wealth, with greater emphasis, with greater power than Pharaoh. And literally, when you read the Hebrew text, the Hebrew text has the idea that they rush Joseph. Literally, they run him to Pharaoh. It's so important that they get to Pharaoh as quick as they They get him cleaned up. And so, again, this is a guy who for at least two to three years has probably not walked in an area bigger than this building. And now he's running. He, it's probably one of the first times he's seen sunlight in a long time. He now is going to go before Pharaoh. Now, again, it's a couple verses in the Bible. Let me give you an idea, just a small glimpse of what would have happened. Here are some ideas of the throne room of the Pharaoh at the time. He would have gone down probably a corridor like this. On all of those sides are all of the Egyptian gods. Because Egypt was big on all worshiping all the gods. So Joseph, again, he's coming out of a prison. He's a farm kid. He's walking down this a hall similar to this. Then he comes in. These are, actually, these are actually things that they have found in Pharaoh's area and restored. So he's going to go past sculptures like this and columns like that. Then he's going to go down and probably a column like this. And again, this is all gold. This is all the, the, the most exquisite marbles. Then he's going to eventually come to a throne room, probably somewhat like this. Again, he's already called all the, all the astrologers and all the magicians and all, this, all of the important people, and they're huddled all the way around there. And you can see that little thing in the distance. That's the throne of Pharaoh. And if you'll notice, I'm going to go back. If you'll notice, there's a little area down at the bottom for someone to stand who's standing before Pharaoh. Around it are... are different uh, models and, and responses to the gods. And so here's actually a reproduction of Pharaoh sitting on a throne. That's what he would have looked like. Now, you're a Hebrew guy, 30 years old, who's lived in prison for the last two or three years. You now walk into that kind of scene. 
And Pharaoh sitting, now you're standing there, looking up, surrounded by all these people. And Pharaoh says, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. And what does Joseph say? I can't interpret dreams. I bet you could hear gasps. How dumb are you? Make something up. But you don't tell the greatest leader of the known world, the most powerful person on the planet, nope, you heard wrong. And then Joseph does something that you need to understand in this culture at this time has an incredible amount of boldness. And he says, my God can. Now you need to understand, he had just passed God after God after God. He's now standing there at the foot of Pharaoh on his throne, who in this culture, Pharaoh is considered a god. But Pharaoh as God is troubled because he had a dream that he doesn't know what it means. And this Hebrew country boy is standing at the foot of Pharaoh and says, I can't help you, but my God can. You don't think that took an incredible amount of faith and trust and boldness? And next week we're going to talk about what happens as a result of all of this. Because Joseph even takes it further. Not only does Joseph say, my God will help you tell what the dream is, but then, hey, by the way, I'm going to tell you how to solve it. But I want to stop the story here this morning because I think there's two things that when we read this story, we miss that I think are so important to the life of Joseph and important to us. Here's the first thing. Joseph decides early in his life that he is going to focus on trying to see his circumstances through the eyes of God, not himself. You see, chances are really good that as Joseph walks into that scene, Guess who's standing over in the corner? The cupbearer, who forgot him for two years. How do you think Potiphar felt when all of a sudden somebody comes from Pharaoh and says, hey, Pharaoh wants to see Joseph, who you've put in prison for at least two, maybe three or more years. How nervous do you think Potiphar's wife was What's he going to say to Pharaoh about me? Joseph is in a situation where he, if he wanted to, could take advantage of his position. But Joseph doesn't do that. Because Joseph looked at every situation in his life, every circumstance in his life through the eyes of what could God do here? How can God use me? I wonder, I can't go down this rabbit trail, I'd love to, but you remember Joseph's dream about the sheaves as they bended down to worship him? What do you think went through his mind 
as he started walking down that hall and looking at all this going, I wonder what God's going to do next. And he listens to Pharaoh's dream, and Pharaoh says, it's about wheat. And Joseph goes, yeah, I had one of those too. About 13 years ago, Joseph doesn't focus on himself at all. He does not focus on his circumstances. He decides to try to see every situation through God using him. And this is what I would, I, I would challenge you with, because this is what happens to us all of it. When, when circumstances or difficulty or hardship come into our life, the first thing we start focusing on is how it affects me, woe is me, what's God doing to me, why isn't God doing this, how come this isn't happening, and we just start going down that road. Joseph doesn't do that. His brothers have lied about him. He serves. Potiphar's wife lied about him, stabbed him in the back. He served. Potiphar, the one person who, who had entrusted him with everything, turns around and throws him in prison. He still serves. Here's a guy who, no matter what, every time he gets like, like that, I think I got that bouncy thing still. I don't know if it's working. Is it not? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, this is even better. That's what happens to us when life comes our way. Now, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago when I had this thing out, it actually stands up, you knock it down, and comes to that. We talked about God being the foundation of what you have, but this is what happens to us. We just keep getting knocked down and knocked down and knocked down. We just stay down. And you need to understand that when circumstances and difficulty and hardship come, there is an earthly perspective to it all. But there's also a divine perspective. And there's a perspective at which God is at work. And you've heard me say it before. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. He's more interested in his glory. Because our time here is short when you compare it to eternity. And more than anything else, God says, look, if you're going to be my servant, go through the New Testament. Look at how many times Paul introduces a book by saying, Paul, a servant. Paul, a bond slave. Uh, it was the idea that I'm going to serve God no matter what comes my way. And one of the things that you see in the life of Joseph is that when he's in a position, you're going to see this, by the way, you're going to see this time and time again. When we get to him confronting his brothers, I'm going to tell you, I, I wouldn't have gone there. I know myself enough to know. I don't think I could have gone there. I don't think I could have been that gracious and that forgiving. But he is. That's why often people look at him as a type of Christ. But I want to challenge you because there's so, whatever you're going through right now, there's an earthly perspective to it, and I'm not minimizing any of that. But God's at work doing something too. Joseph always chooses to focus on God at work. The other idea is this. Joseph always gives glory to God. Um, there is, I can get this out of the way or I'll trip over it. Um, there is an incredible um, idea here in that Joseph brings the focus back to God. Now listen, because we miss this. He's doing this in Pharaoh's throne room 
surrounded by Egyptian gods. Ray, the ten plagues, if you don't know, when we went through Moses, we talked about this. The ten plagues are related to ten of the gods of Egypt. They believed in everything. Joseph, you know, when, 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 when Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house, and they would go down to the bank to go fishing, you need to understand that the people that worked for Potiphar would stop, and they would worship at, before they went fishing at the river because the river, the Nile River was considered God. It was a, it, it was a sacred place. That's why, the way, by the way, one of the first miracles at, uh, at Moses is they turned the blood to water. The idea that there was a God more powerful than the Nile shook people at their foundation. And Joseph stands there before Pharaoh and says, in essence, is what he's saying. You see all this stuff you worship? It can't help you. But my God can. My God will give you the answer. I can't help but think of the boldness it took for this kid. I say kid again. I'm at the age where if you're under 40, you're a kid. Um, This 30-year-old young man standing there, empowered by God, boldly claims his God is bigger than all of your God's. I'm concerned that as Christians, we walk in this world surrounded by pagan gods. And we let them intimidate us. We're afraid to speak up. Because if we do, we're going to offend somebody. Apparently, that was not Joseph's concern. I mean... He's talking to a guy that killed a guy because he didn't bake something right. And he's willing to stand up and say, my God will give you the interpretation. I'm not saying you'd be crazy about this. I mean, although what he does is pretty crazy. But I will say this. We could use a little more boldness today. Because our God is bigger than any God that's out there. And our God is the God. But we're so afraid. Well, I'm afraid that, you know, I just don't want, you know, I, 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 you know, I mean, if I say something, they're going to say, well, that's just your opinion. I mean, come on, you know, if, if I really tell them that Jesus Christ said I'm the only way, the only truth, the only life, no one comes to the Father but by me, they're going to look at me and say, oh, well, you're not inclusive, you don't want to include everybody, and I'm going to say, no, the Bible is very exclusive. Jesus was very clear. There is one way, and it is Jesus Christ. Oh, but what about sincerity? I'm sorry, Jesus said only one way, through him. Well, what about... I'm sorry, Jesus said, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Why are we so scared to share truth and love? One of the things that you see in Joseph is he had every reason 
to be intimidated. He had every reason to back down. He had every reason to back off. He had every reason to take credit. Well, Pharaoh, I will give you the interpretation. Okay, wait a minute. Before I do, though, what's in it for me? Uh, Before I do, can we talk about what Potiphar's wife did to me? Can we talk about my three-year... Where, where, where's my recompense? What, what are you going to do to offset my unfair treatment in prison for three years? What are you going to do for me, Pharaoh, before I give you an interpretation? Because, by the way, I've got it. I know exactly what it's all about. And, by the way, what do you think all of these guys standing around the side are thinking? I mean, this is a foreigner. This is a country kid. And he's standing there telling Pharaoh that his God can do what my gods can't? (sighs) What incredible boldness. And I think there's a lesson for us. And sometimes we're just so hesitant. Because I think instead of, again, the fact that Joseph makes this journey from prison to Pharaoh's throne and does not get intimidated by everything that he sees is amazing to me. I mean, you need to understand, some of these statues, folks, are taller than that ceiling. And I I don't know, I don't know if you know this about church architecture, but if you study church architecture, here's what you will find throughout history. Churches have been incredibly tall. You go, you tour overseas in European countries, and you go into these, 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 churches, and they're huge. That was by design. You know why it was by design? Because they wanted you to feel small and your God to feel big. So they wanted you to walk in and and almost cower in your insignificance in this great, big, massive place. Egypt was the same way. They wanted you, as you walked down that hall, looked at these massive, there's Ray, and there's all of these gods and goddesses. And then to be at this little point with Pharaoh up on his throne, and to feel so intimidated, he doesn't. So why? When we have Jesus Christ in our hearts, the Holy Spirit living within us, the power of the Word of God, why do we stay quiet? Why are we so afraid to be bold? I think that's the lesson here. A guy who is so focused, because here's the thing, he's so focused on his God when he walks in there, honestly, I don't believe, I think he looks at it and goes, cool statue, but don't mean nothing to me, just a hunk of stone. Why? Because he knows the power of his God. And that's where his confidence, that's where his trust is. Not in his circumstances, not in his situation, not in how he's been treated. He has this incredible source of a foundation of God is my God. And you're right. None of these people have been able to help you, but my God, he has the power to help you. So here's what, Pharaoh, he's been really kind to you, and here's what he's doing. He's giving you a sign ahead of time for you to actually end up coming out smelling like a rose through this. And you know the reason he gave you this dream to you twice? 
It's because he's going to do it. And there's nothing you can do to change it. That's the kind of power we need in our lives. That's the kind of boldness that we need. That's the kind of foundation we need. So I end this morning with this. The boldness of Joseph is demonstrated in his approach to Pharaoh. He shows an unwavering trust in God's timing and purpose. Joseph does not allow a pagan world to intimidate or hinder his message from God. He turns the focus of every situation to the glory of God. And I pray that this week, each of us will live with that same focus and that same boldness. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, these stories are, are, are incredible to read. And they're almost difficult to comprehend. But Lord, they're written so that we can learn. They're written, Lord, so that we can take these things that these incredible people have done and use them as a pattern for our lives. So help us this week. Lord, there are people here who are carrying some incredible burdens. There's some heavy things that have been dumped into their life and allowed by you to mold and shape and use them. So I pray that you would work in their hearts to help them be able to take and look at things from a heavenly perspective, not just simply an earthly one. And for each of us this week, Lord, we're each going to be faced with an opportunity this week to either stand up or be quiet. And Lord, when that moment comes, may you give us the clarity of mind and the clarity of thought to be able to stand up and say what we need to say and speak the truth in love and compassion and not be intimidated by the world in front of us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's